friend of mine found himself checking into a hotel this past week and, and checking in the hotel. He'd been to that hotel one time before and, and checking into it when he walked up the, the reception desk, he gave his name and as he gave his name, he obviously was stunned because the person on the other side of the desk said, welcome back. You stayed with us on this date in 2009. What a joy it is to have you back. Well, he was staggered, staggered. He said, I can't imagine someone remembering and having on their database even that in 2009 that they were at a particular hotel. And as he was telling me this story, I thought to myself, I can't even remember what happened in 2009. It seems so long ago. But it's interesting what that hotel did for this person. Because this is a person who travels all the time. But what this hotel did was this hotel gave a legacy to their property that this gentleman will never forget because they recognized who he was based in his previous visit. And if you think about it for a moment, it seems so trivial, and yet it's so significant. Don't you love it when someone knows your name? Don't you love it when someone remembers who you are out in the lobby area before church? I was chatting with someone and came, came running up to me was a little girl named Nora Grace. And she was looking up into my eyes, waiting for me to do one thing, to pick her up. And as I picked her up, I got to thinking about what legacy we all have to be able to share life with those God's put in our path. A legacy that carries on. And it's interesting because if you're, if you're wise, you learn something today, and that is vision in life will leave a legacy. Because if you live for something bigger than yourself, others will see you as living out your purpose in life. And the reason sometimes people end up missing their story is they miss their vision. They miss what it is that God wants to do with them. And it's interesting what vision does. Because vision, vision does one very dynamic thing. Vision takes want to and turns it into will do. And there's a big difference there. And I want you to think about that a moment. Vision takes want to and turns it into will do. In other words, I'm going to live my life out and I'm going to get it done. Have you ever thought about how often we contemplate things we're going to set out to do? In fact, oftentimes at the turn of a year, people will make resolutions. And the resolutions will be centered oftentimes in areas of weakness that they like to improve in. Do you know how quickly those resolutions fail? So quick that nine out of 10, watch this, are not on anybody's radar screen within a few days' time. How many of you made a resolution and your weakness is eating? And you said, January 1, I am not eating dessert. And then you were at a restaurant and they brought out, they didn't bring out one tray, they brought out two trays with all kinds of choices. And here's what you said at that moment. That won't hurt me. One dessert won't hurt me that resolution disappeared. And here's what psychologists have discovered. The reason most people fail in what they resolve to do is it's not centered in their strength. It's centered in their weakness. And listen carefully. If you center what it is you want to do in life based on what you feel and the places you're weak at, you'll struggle. But if you today will look at your life and say, you know what, I'm going to focus in on my strength of who I am, who God made me to be, then something powerful will happen. Just recently, I was reflecting on an experience that happened almost 20 years ago. 
I remember it like yesterday because a gentleman walked into my office. And it's interesting what he said. Hey, I'm looking for a church home. And, and you know, as he walked in, I thought, well, he's probably got some questions. You know, what do we believe, et cetera, et cetera. He said, I only have two questions. Two questions. You can answer them, then I want to be here. And he looked at me and he said, are you real and do you care? Now, I want you to think about those two parallel questions. Think about it for a moment. What was this gentleman looking for? He wanted to see if there was authenticity in the life of the person he was talking to. And he wanted to see if there was compassion. Do you care? And listen carefully. The whole world cries out for are you real and do you care? And I never forget those questions because let me tell you what that guy did. He left a legacy inside of me. It changed the way I looked at life because all of a sudden I realized something. You can look any way you want to, but if your heart's not right, you're not going to get where God intends for you to go. And I'm going to tell you today as we think about how to live our legacy. This is the second part of a study that I wanted to say as we began a new year about how to have victory and vision. And today I want to talk about what it means to, to be living our own legacy now. Because listen carefully, you don't want just a legacy that, that happens after you're done. You want a legacy while you're living so that it can make a difference right now. So that people can see God at work in you. And oftentimes people will ask me the question, how did the name One Heart arrive as a church name? And today you're going to learn exactly why it arrived. Because it was birthed out of a vision. A vision to be real and to care. It was birthed out of the reality that what we wanted to do was leave a imprint on the hearts of people. That when they encountered us, whether here or somewhere else in the world, they would see, they would see and they would watch that we were people who didn't just talk about what we wanted to do. We were people who said, we will do it. We will make it happen. We will live out what it is God's called us to do in our lives. And listen carefully, whether you're a college student, our college room was full of college students today, or whether you're a young adult, or whether you have lived many different years of life, listen carefully. It doesn't matter what age you are, but it does matter what vision you have. What matters is you see your life as being essential and critical to accomplishing God's purpose. You see your life as centered in being who he wants you to be. And so whether you're in the balcony, whether you're downstairs, whether you're young or whether you're old, today I want to challenge you to live your legacy. And you ask yourself the question, you think about that. Today we find ourselves in Acts chapter 4. Turn to that text if you would, and as you're turning there, I want you to ponder with me in your own minds as you, as you open that particular, particular text. One of the things you ask yourself very quickly in life is how do you get where God wants you to be? You ever thought about that? How do I end up being exactly where God wants me to be? Because what you discover is sometimes we have criteria that we identify related to where God wants us to be that may not be relevant. It may not even be significant. I got so blessed. Uh, one of our sweet older members was during the welcome time, came out of her pew, and I was standing in the, I was standing in the aisle next to her pew, and I stuck my, hand, stuck my hand out, and she said, oh, I don't want a handshake. And as she embraced me, I thought to myself, you know what? If our legacy is just that we love people enough to hug them, at least we have carried them forward, and we're in a place where God wants us to be. And see, for us today, as we think about our own journey of faith, as we think about where we are, I want to ask you a question. Do you, do you know what it takes to get where God wants you to be? Because if you don't, what happens? We flounder in life. We miss 
our purpose. We miss his plan. We miss our priorities. We miss the power of God at work in our lives. And you're going to see that in Acts chapter 4. Because here's what happens in Acts 4. In Acts 4, the church has been birthed, and everybody who does not have a vision is upset about it. So religion says, we don't want that. And others are saying, you know what? These people, they're talking about Jesus, and it's not, and it's not working well. In fact, look if you would, at, just for a moment, in chapter 4 at verse 13. And I want you to follow me today as we think about this, because here's what I want you to see as you think about your own journey. If you get your vision, watch this, you will experience his victory. But if you spend your life, watch this, more focused on your adversity than his affirmation, then you will struggle to figure out life. And here's what happens to people. They get pounded by adversity while not looking for his affirmation. And as a result, their adversity defines them. And listen carefully. What happens in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts is the church is being pounded by adversity. And people are coming at them, even arresting the leaders. And you may not even know this, but do you know that two-thirds of all those who claim the name of Jesus live in neighborhoods across the world where it's dangerous to live there? Two-thirds. You and I live in a neighborhood where they don't even know we are Christian, and there's no danger. But there, all across the world, there are people who are struggling and fighting, but believing and living out the truth. Why do they do it? Because they have a vision. And look, if you would, at verse 13, and notice what happens. Now, as they observed the confidence, what's that word? The confidence of Peter and John, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And notice this line. You don't want to miss this, because this is the definition of a person who finds a vision. And, and they, they saw, they, he began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I mean, you ought to underline that, because here's what you discover. The only way anybody will ever understand who you really are is to know that you have been with Jesus. That he speaks to your heart, he meets you in the night, watches, he grabs hold of where you're going, he looks at you and says, you know what, I can help you get where you're supposed to be. That's what vision does. And it's interesting because vision captures us. Vision motivates us. Vision compels us. Vision grabs hold of us. That's why we have a very clear vision as a fellowship. Very clear vision. So as you think about this particular passage, you begin to ask yourself, can we operate, watch this, with a clear vision in a very confusing day? Can, can we operate with, with all the confusion going on in our world? And the truth of the matter is, as you think about that, there's so much confusion. So many different things we could identify that are happening before our very eyes. And what you discover very quickly is this. Yes, you can. Watch this carefully. Because the more confusing culture is, the more clarifying Scripture is. The more confusing we find our world, the more defined our God is. And what happens, just because somebody whispers something that they believe to be true, you validate everything based in the truth of what God's Word says, and you're able to operate so effectively, so amazingly. And so you begin to ask yourself, well, how can we build this vision? And let's look, if we could, in Acts chapter 4, because I want us to see what transpired. Let's uh, move on over to verse 27 of Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city... That were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Watch this. To do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all what? Confidence. Same word, which has to do with boldness, by the way. While you extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, watch this, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they all, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And when you read this, you realize very quickly that here is a story of what happens when people gather together to accomplish his purpose. And I want you to think about it for a moment because there are things that allow us to build our legacy, things that allow people to see God at work in us. And I want to give you four of those because these four dynamics will allow you to understand the message today and allow you to think about where you are in your journey of faith and cause you to think about, is that the kind of legacy I want to live? And now when you think about legacy builders, I think about four qualities. Four things that distinctively stand out. The first thing that a legacy builder will be able to do is have character. Because when you have character, in other words, what's defined inside of you, people see that and realize that person lives for something. But not just character. A person will also have built into their life convictions. They'll live with convictions. And listen carefully. The songs we sang today are actually expressions of the convictions we share. The word of God is spoken. We are changed forever. Think about the songs that we sang today. All of them, all of them point us to the reality that we have convictions. And we will not waver, watch this, on the authority of Scripture, on the, on the promises of God. We will not waver on, on believing that God can do any and all things. We have convictions. And listen, the whole world may say, you can't believe that, but listen carefully. As long as we breathe, we can believe with conviction what it is God said to us. A third quality of a legacy builder is someone who has confidence. And you notice in verse 13 as well as verse 29 that this word confidence shows up. And it's interesting because watch what, you know what confidence does? Confidence takes humility and wisdom and bursts inside of you an awareness of who you are and who he is and what he can do through you. Now think about how confident you could be if you just humble yourself. Why does someone end up missing a lot of what God has for life? They let pride slip in. And confidence is always a product of somebody when humility and wisdom melt together. All of a sudden, they go, you know what? I can get where I'm supposed to be. I can confidently make it happen, and I can trust the Lord to guide me all the way through it. One final legacy builder as we get ready to dig into our vision and who we are and what happens in church in the book of Acts is the whole idea of calling, calling, knowing God has a purpose for your life. And I want to, I want to remind you of this because oftentimes we allow our circumstances to get in the way of our calling. Because we start thinking, well, you know what? I have so many problems. I'm not sure I can get there. I don't, I'm not sure what, I really, what God really wants to do with me. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to accomplish. Listen carefully. What your calling does, it is, watch this, it is the affirmation of his presence that speaks to your purpose, that allows you to hear his plan. And as you hear his plan, your priorities are redefined and you become somebody you never dreamed you could be. Listen carefully. I can tell you right now that's exactly what happened to me. It's what happened to me. I grew up in a home where it did not happen that way. I grew up in a home where there was no such thing 
as confidence and other things like that. And all of a sudden, there was a voice that began to call to me. And the same voice still speaks to me, speaks to my heart. It spoke to my heart in so many different ways. It spoke to my heart to make sure that we build a fellowship here that is strong in the Word, strong in the Spirit, strong in believing what it is God wants to accomplish, strong in prayer. It's also given me an awareness that you don't have to limit what you do to one place. And that's why even this afternoon, I'll fly out of our city to another land to help set in motion what will be accomplished with little children who never understood they could even have a calling. And see, what you and I must discover is that calling is that affirmation that speaks to who we are. And I'm going to tell you what's amazing about it. When you get it, you can't lose it. But if you don't get it, you struggle all the way through life. And what I want you to see today is here is who we are. This is our vision. Our vision is simply this, that we would be authentic followers, authentic followers of Jesus Christ, committed to impacting our world. And listen carefully, whether it's in the continent of Africa and Tanzania, whether it's in the continent of Europe and Romania and Ukraine and Serbia, whether it is in South America, whether it is in Atlanta, Georgia, wherever it is, we are committed to being authentic. We are committed to living out our calling. And when you look at that vision statement, you realize something. What is it built around? It's built around impact. Because, listen carefully, the more authentic you are, the more impact you can make. I was telling my wife last night about a little girl that I met while I was in Romania this past time. And the, the little girl stared at me for five years. Five years. She would stand off. She'd look at me. Well, on the last day I was in Romania, I asked someone what her name was. I said, I want to know who she is. And so I called her name. Five years she's been waiting on somebody to call her name. Her mother dropped her in an orphanage when she was a little bitty girl. I called her name. She came to me. And I looked at her and said, can I hug you? And she hugged me. She walked away. Fifteen minutes later, I was leaving to come back home. She walks up to me and she whispers, tell you best, I love you. And as she said that, it made me realize how vital it is that we are authentic and that we live out what it is we're supposed to do. And every once in a while, people say to me, you sure do live a busy life. Absolutely. Let me tell you why. You only get one of them. Amen? And let me tell you something. If you have confidence, if you have character, if you have convictions, you have calling, you'll live out your authenticity by impacting your world. Not just there, but here and everywhere. Because that's really what the gospel is all about. And so here we find, in Acts chapter 4, we find the story of, of a church that, that obviously was committed to impacting the world. And, and when you think about the name One Heart, see, what I want you to hear today is I want you to hear with great clarity that this name was not pulled out of a hat, out of a name that would be good to market who we are. This name was not pulled out of somebody else's branding theme. This was not a name that was birthed that makes other people feel good about where they go. This was a name that was birthed in the heart of God when the Bible says in verse 32, they were one heart and one soul. And when you read the Old Testament, you realize here's what it said. I'll take your heart of stone and make you one heart. I'll make it live. And so here I want you to see today, how do we make our story live out? And I don't want you to forget this because here's what vision does. Don't forget it. Vision turns your will do in, or your want to into will do. Vision takes what you want to do and turns it into what you will do. And listen carefully. You only get one shot at life. Don't miss it. 
Don't miss your moment. Grab hold of it and experience what God has for you. Experience what God intends to do with your life. And so you see that there are four distinctive things that come out of the church in the book of Acts that I want you to see. And I want you to see them in a way that will allow you to understand who we are. The first one's authenticity. Authenticity. And we've talked about that some, so let's look at what Scripture says. And look, if you would, at verse 29 and verse 30. <clears throat> and notice, notice how it is recorded. And now, the Lord, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of, our, of your holy servant, Jesus. When you realize, and you read this, you realize very quickly that what, what you see being verbalized is an authentic, authentic approach to uh, how life should work because it's centered in conviction. And here's what I want. I just want you to see two things about these verses. The first one is this, that when you have convictions that come from God, they're centered in confidence. I mean, it helps you be able to go where you're supposed to go. It helps you understand who you're supposed to be. It helps you move forward. And it's interesting because when you live life long enough, you'll watch how few people really let their convictions guide their life. They oftentimes would rather please somebody than please God. And here, the, the prayer is this. We are getting threat, threatened. We are getting beat on. We are going through heartache and difficulty. What do we do? What do we do? And here's what I want to challenge you to think about. If you want to be authentic, let your, let your convictions be centered in confidence. But not just that, because you also notice that the that, that Bible says in verse 30, notice what it says here. You, you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of Jesus. And here, here's what I want you to, to see, because why do some people struggle with vision? Because their walk is not validated with wonder. In other words, they don't get to experience the wonder of God. And let me tell you, listen carefully. If you want to experience all that God intends for your life, you have to engage yourself in a pursuit that allows you to experience his wonder. Sometimes it will speak to you in the night. Sometimes it will grab hold of you in a way you never dreamed it ever would. And it begins to speak to you. Last night, in the middle of the night, I was praying over what we were going to be looking at today. And it's interesting what the Lord kept saying to me. Everybody wants to, but not everybody will do. Everybody. Every, in other words, if I, ask, if I gave you a card out and it, said, it had a checkbox on there, I want to do everything God intends me to do. There's nobody in here who wouldn't check that box, right? You'd check that box when you say, yes, 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 yes. But the reality is, it's so much easier to say, I really want to do that, versus being committed to doing it. And so here we find that they, they began to experience the wonder of God at work. And I'll tell you what you discover. All you have to do is find yourself at a crucial moment where it's life or death, where it's most critical, and you begin to say, Lord, I want to see the wonder of you at work. I want to see your hand and move and, and see it move in a special way. A friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer this past week. He called me on the phone one night this week and said, I want to talk to you because he's, he's a fellow serving the Lord. We've been, we've been friends for 25 years. And he said, you know, when I went to the doctor's office, he, he diagnosed me. And he said, uh, he said, it was interesting because the doctor didn't even act like it was a big deal. He said, look at me, he said, uh, you have cancer. He said, did you have the same experience? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I did. I had the same kind of experience. But I said, here's what you discover. This is a moment. This is a moment where you're going to be allowed to experience the wonder of God because you're going to ask people to intercede. You're going to ask people to pray. You're going to ask him to come close to you. And what you discover is when your walk is validated by wonder, you get up and watch this. Here's what happens. When a person lives a vision 
They never read the Bible because they're supposed to. They always read it because they want to. It's amazing how different that is. They're compelled to hear God speak. So a person who lives out the vision is authentic. A second area, let's look on if we could, because not only is there authenticity, but there's also discipleship. You see, our vision is built around helping people learn. To be a disciple is to be a learner. Which, by the way, when you think about authenticity, do you know the quickest pathway to authenticity is lordship? It's lordship. Because if you allow the Lord to be Lord of all, then all of a sudden you become more authentic. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to struggle through everything. Say, Lord, you know what? You're Lord of all. I give that to you. But when you become a disciple, you commit yourself to learn. And one of the things that I so love about who we are is we are willing to learn. We're willing to learn. In fact, when you think about that, that learning concept, it comes out of Scripture. Look, if you would, verse 31, and and see these two aspects of a disciple. Notice verse 31. And when they had prayed, and look at that line by step, and when they had prayed, prayed. And here's what you discover very quickly. If you're going to be a disciple, you recognize, you'll recognize what prayer can do. You'll recognize in your own heart that it's absolutely essential that we pray. Essential that our prayer life is not something that's optional, but it's absolutely essential. And what you discover is when you learn how to do this, prayer won't be where you hit the clock, boom, I got to do this. Instead, it becomes a natural way of life for you. And the Bible says when they had prayed, they gathered together. In fact, you see there, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. Shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. When you read that, you realize something. What got them where God wanted them to be was the Word of God. And listen carefully. If you're going to be a disciple, you have to live the reality of Scripture. You have to live out what God's Word says. Because that allows you to become a learner. And the more you get inside of his word, the more you see him speaking to your heart. It's amazing when I, when I think about scripture, how many different ways that God's word speaks to our hearts and life. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have at least one promise that when you think about the Bible, you actually believe it was written for you? Let me see your hand. You see, you know what, you know what the, reality, the reality is? The reality is it was written for you. It was written so that you would find comfort if you needed it, conviction if you needed it, confidence if you needed it, calling if you needed it. It was there for you. But we live the reality of it, and that's how we become a disciple. So first of all, if we're a church that is supposed to accomplish this vision, if we're going to be authentic followers of Jesus, then we've got to make sure that we commit ourselves to lordship. We've got to be able to say, you know what, Lord? And by the way, what is lordship? It means he's in charge. Okay, if you're trying to figure that word out, that, that word kind of staggers you. And by the way, that word's not used in our culture anymore because everybody wants Jesus just to be around when they have a problem. And the truth is, what does, what does lordship do? Lordship puts him in charge of everything. But also, we should be disciples, and we should be willing to learn. Let's look on, though, because there's another quality. Because when you get to verse 32, you find that here is a place where all of a sudden their commitment is defined. Their commitment is defined. Look at it with me, if you would. And the congregation of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with with great power... The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrected Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. When you read this, you see something, don't you? That here is a church that gets to experience the power of God at work, and it's an amazing experience for them. It's amazing because all of a sudden, they understand what it means to lead. 
and it's about leadership. Commitment is about being willing to step up and be who you're supposed to be, move forward to accomplish his purpose. And that's why we as a fellowship must always respond when there's an opportunity to move forward. We must always commit ourselves. And, and what you discover very quickly, if we don't commit, then we miss the best. I was thinking about during the days that are right in front of us, during the next 30 days, we have so many opportunities to step up, to step into what it is God has for us. I mean, think about it with me just for a moment, very quickly. We have the privilege of bringing together any and all of our men who want to study what it means not to be a fan but to be a follower of Jesus every Saturday at 9 a.m., beginning next Saturday in the hospitality room. We have the privilege of bringing all of our ladies together. For many of you, the very first mug and muffin you'll ever be at, a time to come together as one heart and one soul. At 10 a.m. in a fellowship hall, you get a chance to be involved in that. Now think about that. And think about it. We just commit ourselves to it, and we experience it. For all of our ladies, you have a chance to be involved in Bible study. Four different distinctive studies, all defined in the hearts of those who put together the strategy to meet your need, to meet you where you are. And whether you're virtually studying or whether you're in a study on Tuesday or Thursday, they're all available to you. And it's interesting. We either take action and commitment or we miss it. We have a chance to fellowship together around the Super Bowl. And we eliminate all the commercials that don't count and we get to fellowship what does count. That is people coming together and having a great time. And then I think about February 7th and 8th. We have a chance as a family to build greater marriages, to build greater relationships. And I want to encourage you to sign up for that marriage conference and be a part of it because I promise you the Randalls will bless you. More than that, the Lord will bless you. Now, I want you to think about it for a second. Here is commitment. Here's commitment. It's zeroing in on what it is God intends to do. And what you discover very quickly is that if we come with commitment, we become one heart and one soul. And it's interesting to me because there are two things that come out of this. Be First of all, it's interesting because you see that they, they said that they began to just give away whatever they had. They, got, they said, you know what, we don't want to hang on to this. And what you discover is they're giving... Watch this. Their giving was a reflection of a new reality at work in their lives. It was a, a reflection of something they never experienced before. And in just a few days, we'll push out to everybody a reflection of their giving for this past year. It'll come to your home. Nobody else would read it but you. But as you read it, you'll begin to see how committed you are to things beyond yourself. You'll begin to see that, that I actually believe and what God was up to. Did I actually invest in his purpose? And what you see here is what happened to the church was they got so excited about Jesus that giving became a natural part of who they are and who they were. And here's what I want you to see. You're never going to hear me beat you over the head to get you to give because watch this. Giving is always a reflection of obedience and love. And it wouldn't matter how big my hammer was, even if it's a sledgehammer. If I came and banged you on the head and you had a choice between your new TV and helping somebody go on a mission trip, if your obedience and your love were not centered in Jesus, you'd have a wonderful new TV while somebody else struggles to go somewhere in the world. And may it be said of us that our giving is a reflection of a new reality. We are a people called together as one heart. We are a people who have in our own DNA, we have been grafted together some who have loved Jesus for 50 or 60 years have been grafted together with people who birthed the fellowship eight years ago. And listen carefully. We are one heart. We have in our DNA a desire to give our lives away. Not just our resources, but our time and our talents, our skills. 
in the days to come, we have other needs that have to be met. We have other leadership needs in our preschool and our children and other places like that. We need to meet those needs. And when you hear me talk about them, here's what I want you to see. It is about what we commit ourselves to. Because when you read this text in verse 32, they gave, but it was more than just giving financially. They gave their heart away. But they didn't just give their heart away. There's something else that transpires here because I want you to look at verse 33, the very last part of the verse. And abundant grace was upon them all. Watch this. Grace is always a confirmation of his power. In other words, you want to show me somebody who has power? I'll show you somebody who has grace. Somebody who lives out what it is that is their story. And I want to tell you what you discover too. If somebody doesn't live with grace, the only reward they get, they get on earth. But if you live with grace, someday you will hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because what grace does is grace gives you the power to believe that what is crooked can be made straight. What is challenging can be confirmed by God. What's overwhelming can be overcome by his presence. And the Bible says it this way, that there was abundant I mean, look at that word there because we come back to that same concept of the whole idea of abundancy. Remember what we looked at last week, Romans 15, 13? Now the God of all hope, the verse that we're going to use throughout the year, that he may fill you with joy and peace in believing so that you may, what, abound in hope. Abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want you to see. If you unplug the power because you didn't commit yourself to what it is he intends to do. Don't look up at the end of your story and say, I would have, I could have, I should have, but I didn't. Instead, realize that when you unplug, there is nothing there. But when you plug in, there's something so supernatural you never dreamed it could happen. So imagine with me for a moment. You're sitting in church today, and here's what you're thinking. Now, wait a minute now. I've got to make, if I'm going to live the vision, I've got to make Jesus Lord of everything? Yes. If I'm going to live the vision, you mean I've got to learn? I've got to be willing to open my Bible and learn? And let me just say this to you. Bring your Bible to church. It's the instruction book for life. And if you don't have one, come see me and I'll give you one. Because I want you to read. I want you to read his word. It never comes back void. And so you're sitting in church saying, wait, 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 wait. Now, wait, I mean, you know, Jesus got to be everything? And then I've got to read the Bible? Oh, a novel idea. And then... And then, if I do that, I've got to commit myself. You mean I actually have to come to the marriage conference? I do have to come to to Bible study with other ladies? I do have to come with the men on Saturday? Yes, if you're going to be authentic and be a part of what God has for you. Now, let's move on because there's one other quality I want you to see as you think about your your own journey. This wraps it all together. Because when you get to verse 34, things begin to shift a little bit. Because their focus here is on how change is going to occur in their lives. And change is an interesting dynamic because nobody likes change initially. But what change does is change makes you look at what you love. Because if you love someone, there's something powerful that will happen as a result of it. And I'll tell you, for me personally, love is the most amazing thing that God ever gives us. Because I'm going to tell you, when you're loved, when you're loved, something happens that's just so transformational. So transformational. Because what love does is love opens the door to change everything. 
And I promise you this, if you've ever experienced conditional love, I love you if, I love you when, and then all of a sudden you experience unconditional love. And listen, as a church, who we are as a fellowship is to give you unconditional love. And watch this. We want to meet you where you are and watch God take you where only he can take you. That is love. And what happens here is all of a sudden that they began to see need. Verse 34, there, there was not a needy person among them. And here's what I want you to see. Their response to need was centered in obedience. In other words, they knew they were supposed to take care of something. They knew they were supposed to initiate. And they were going to be obedient as a result of it. But not only were they responding at the point of obedience, they also, they found, there's this guy there named Barnabas. And I don't know how many of you have a Barnabas in your life. I've got several. I've got several that, honestly, I can preach the worst sermon of my life, and I walk up and say, man, that blessed my heart. And, and you're sitting there going, hmm, really? And you know, they just know how to encourage. They know how to encourage you. And so here's what happens. It's interesting what God does. He gives the big story of what's happened. Then he snapshots into one person's life. And he snapshots into Barnabas' life. And, and, he, and it's interesting what it says here because the Bible says so clearly that what did the, what did the apostles do? They, they changed his name because he was so encouraging. Wouldn't you love to change your name from grumpy to gracious? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? That all of a sudden, all of a sudden you weren't grumpy anymore. And you, say, you know what, I'm going to be sweet. I'm going to be kind. I'm not going to gripe anymore. Here's Joseph who becomes called, his name is Barnabas now. Barnabas. And I'm going to tell you what you discover about Barnabas. Paul couldn't have got where he was supposed to be in life if Barnabas had not been there. And here's what I want you to see, and don't miss this. Everybody needs somebody to encourage them. And as a fellowship, as a fellowship, it's our responsibility to encourage. It's our responsibility to help someone know that they're cared for. Because here all of a sudden, this son of encouragement shows up. And what does he do? He gives away a piece of property he had. That's not the issue. The issue is he is being obedient. And what, what you see in Scripture, as you look at this, is this example of encouragement challenged them to the core. And it, was, it took all the way inside. Have you ever been around somebody that, that they're so encouraging you wonder if they're real or not? Yes? Sure you have. You ever seen somebody that, I mean, every, every word is, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, wonderful day. And their whole work would be caving in. And let me just say this to you. You be careful around me because don't say praise the Lord too many times, hallelujah too many times, amen too many times, because I'm going to check you out. Because the reality is, in life, it isn't always easy to say praise the Lord. In life, sometimes you've got to say, Lord, help me. Lord, be with me. And here, what happened, this encouragement challenged them to the core. And what I want you to see today as we, as we bring this mess together is this. I want you to be encouraged in your faith. I want you to move forward. During Christmas time, I got a couple really unique notes from, from some people. And those notes were treasures to me because they were centered in encouragement. And what you discover very quickly is everybody wants to be encouraged. And so when you think about this passage, you got to ask yourself the question, will you live the vision? Will you live it out or will you lose the authenticity of what it is God intends to do in your life. Will you live it out? And you know, you know, you're sitting there saying, you know what, I could never do all that stuff. You said I got to make him Lord. You said I got to learn the Bible. You said I got I to be willing to, to, to center myself in, in loving other people. I mean, how am I going to do all that? Just follow Jesus. He's a great example. He'll take you where 
no one else could take you. And when you think about living out this vision, you do have to bring yourself to that final thought. What kind of legacy will you leave? What kind of legacy will you leave? Last week, last week I gave you a pastoral challenge. I gave you a pastoral challenge, and I said there were five things I wanted you to think about living out in your life during this year, and perhaps for the rest of your legacy, for the rest of your journey. I said that you ought to live passionately. You ought to love unconditionally. I said when you think about your own journey, you ought to give sacrificially. You ought to be willing to serve diligently, and you ought to wait expectantly. And when you think about those five things, some of those things went off your screen so quick because you said, passionately, how would I live that? And I'm going to tell you, when I think about us as a fellowship, I couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more excited about who we are, what God's called us to do. And my encouragement today is you think about your own journey of faith. I want you to ask yourself a question. Will I be the man or woman God wants me to be? Because if you are, I'm going to tell you, you're going to take action. You're going to live it out. And when you live it out, something amazing will happen in your journey. For me, it's taken me places I never dreamed I would go. I think about 10 years ago, 13 years ago, somebody asking me to go on a mission trip, I looked at them and said, absolutely not. I'll give, but I'll never go. I'll give, but I'll never go. And when I think about what God can do that man never could, God used one humble person, one humble man who had the wisdom to not push me, but instead just to encourage me. That man's been in heaven a long time, been in heaven a number of years. Whenever I land in a foreign land, like I'll land in Romania tomorrow, stop off in London before I get home, I think about that young man. You see, his life ended so much quicker than I ever dreamed it should. But God had a perfect timing to call him home. Because here's what happened. Out of his death was birthed a vision that allowed all of us to become authentic followers of Jesus, committed to impacting our world. And as long as I have breath, as long as I have breath, I will love children who've never been loved. I will minister to people who've never been ministered to. I will impact our fellowship in a way that validates our vision. And I will watch God work in an amazing way. And I want to thank God for what it is he wants to do in our lives because here's what I discovered. You either live your legacy on earth or other people just talk about you after you're gone. I want people to know my name while I'm still breathing, and I want them to know your name as well, because you are the representative of the vision of our fellowship. May you represent it well as you live out your life this year. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. It speaks to who we are. Lord, as I think about anyone sitting in this room, if they're going to live out your vision, you'll have to be Lord. They have to be willing they have to be willing to learn. They have to be willing to love. And I ask you in Jesus' name to do something amazing in this place. I pray that you would absolutely stir the hearts of people so that they would respond to you in a powerful way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.